0: Now with over 25 years of experience integrating mental health and spirituality, the author of Reclaiming Authenticity, When Ancestors Weep, and Redeeming the Bereaved, here is Dr. James Houck. Wherever you are in the world at this time, welcome to Reclaiming Authenticity, a show whereby you can find your courage to reclaim that which has always been in you. Very excited to be with you here today and every other Friday at 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, noon Pacific Standard Time. And each and every week, uh, these broadcasts are dedicated to the integration of spirituality and our mental health. Well, I'm Dr. James Houck. Very good to be with you here today, like I said. And if you want some more information on me or to leave me your comments about today's show, just invite you to visit the website. It's www.bbsradio.com forward slash reclaiming authenticity. All one word there. So it's www.bbsradio.com forward slash reclaiming authenticity. And if you would like to call in, always enjoy taking calls um, and be part of the, this uh, hour. Uh, that number is uh, toll free. It's 888-627-6008. That's 888-627-6008. And I'll be, be taking your calls after the break. And uh, just in case you cannot spend the full hour with me today, no worries. I know people get busy and everything. They only have a limited amount of time just to listen to live broadcasts, but that's okay because these broadcasts are podcasted in case you want to go back and listen again, or you can go back into the archives and listen to previous shows that you may have uh, missed. And uh, these shows are also available for download on Audible and Amazon Music. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I hope everybody is doing well today. i uh, you know here we are in the middle of October, one of my favorite months. I love the fall, and uh, you know we've uh, had some pretty rough weather here and there, depending on where you are in the United States or wherever you are in the world. but um, it's still an exciting time, um, but it's been an interesting week for me i have to I have to tell you, it's just um, people I talked to just um, have this little bit of an angst going on. You know, just a little bit of anxiety, just a little bit of uncertainty <clears throat> in one form or another. And it seems like every conversation that I've had this week, uh, in one way or another, focused on how do you know who you are? You know, how do you know who you are? And I, I tell you, I've had this conversation or, or asked this question with kids and teenagers and adults of all ages. How do you know who you are? And most of the time, people will typically say something like, well, of course I know who I am. And, uh, you know, you might uh, think it's a silly question, you know, but who, you know, who do you know? Uh, how do you know? And so forth. You know, you might say, well, uh, I I know my name and therefore I am my name. <clears throat> I'm a boy or I'm a girl or I'm this many years old. Okay. I know who my parents are, my great-grandparents, and going back, so on and so forth. I know my by, by street address and, and everything, the country I live in, uh, the color of my skin. Um, I know who I am. Well, that just sounds like you read it off the back of um, you know, your driver's license, You know, just simple information that's kind of generic. But do you know who you really are? You know, uh, who are you beyond the color of your skin or beyond the place that you live or beyond your name or beyond the names of your parents or brothers and sisters, other siblings and grandparents, aunts, uncles and cousins? Uh, I was reading uh, 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 earlier today uh, a book by Joseph Rael, Beautiful, Painted Arrow. And uh, the book I was reading was Becoming Who You Are, just because this conversation kept coming up in my, co- in my conversations with uh, clients and so forth. And uh, he writes that becoming who you are means that you do not one day become you, but rather you're always in a state of becoming. You're always learning who you are like pages of a book that's opening or a sprouting seed that grows, transforming into new leaves and flowers. Knowing who you are is a lifelong journey, a journey that is bold and old and new. Well, it's also interesting that we place a lot of who we are Based on circumstances or bloodlines or other things that we can point to, you know, kind of the externals at at times. But, you know, it doesn't matter who we are or even what family we were born into. Um, We sooner or later, you know, come into a world filled with relationships. Indeed, we are social beings who often spend our lives, that lifelong journey, trying to make sense of our world by trying to find our place. In this world. And as social beings, you know, nobody is an island, okay? I'm not the first one to say that. I believe it was uh, John Dunn who had first uh, been given credit for this saying, you know, no man is an island. But uh, as social beings, it's often within the context of our relationships that we experience tremendous pain and suffering. And these could be anything from, say, just intentional acts of feeling betrayed or experiencing uh, cruelty that somebody has inflicted against us, or even vice versa. What have we done to others? And sometimes we're just simply in the wrong place at the wrong time, okay? And, you know, many people, as a result now bear the scars of the physical or psychological or emotional or even spiritual woundedness. And as I'm going to be talking about in in today's show, it's just basically about how do we tell these stories You know, of, of who am I? How do we tell them? Do we tell them from a place of woundedness or disappointment? And depending on how long we've been carrying around this brokenness, we might even tell our stories from a deeper place of bitterness deep, deep, deep within ourselves. And yet, ironically, just as we experience our woundedness in relationships, it's also within the context of healthier relationships where we can find our healing, our voice, our authenticity. And the difficulty then is often finding the courage to discover that which has always been in you, because you know people who've been following this show for some time, you know I'm a firm believer that everybody comes into this world already gifted and graced with skills and and um, our uniqueness, something that uh, you know John Dun Scotus uh, had uh, coined the phrase you know uh, or the word I should say hachetaos. It's a thisness, you know, and and nobody else has that thisness. Except you. So if your name is Matt, then you know you you know you have this Mattness to you, or Maryness, or ness or again whatever y- your name is, you are unique and you have your own gifts and graces and skills. This hachaitas, okay. but. You know, for some reason, as we go through life and we try to find our place in this world, maybe we feel as though we've never really lived up to another person's expectation of us, and we never had a, a chance to find our thisness. Or maybe we hid that uniqueness when well, we caught a little glimpse of that, but we thought that we needed to hide it from others in order to survive abuse or ridicule or shame or bullying behavior, whatever it might be. Or perhaps those aspects of ourselves you know, have been taken away from us, and we didn't have the strength to fight for those things. You know? But either way, when we become aware that we have done these things, it does take tremendous courage to reclaim who we are. And we can reclaim our voice. We can reclaim our uniqueness. We can reclaim our thisness. And when this occurs, sooner or later, we're going to discover that we begin to tell our stories of transformation from a different place in us, a place of healing and wholeness and gratitude. It will show up in our stories. Well, it doesn't take a rocket scientist, and no offense to the rocket scientists out there, but um, I think... As, you know, individuals and the nation and even the world, we are going through some pretty difficult times right now, just to say the least. And yet, within everyday losses that we experience, um, as, uh, you know, I and my colleagues like to say, you know, there are big T traumas and then there's little T traumas of, you know, just more of like little T transitions in our lives, which can be just as upsetting. You know, and just as disappointing. Um, But within every loss that we experience and and every disappointment and and even every tragedy we're faced with, you know, sooner or later they all present us with this challenge. Is this experience going to make me bitter or is this experience going to make me better? And depending on what we have gone through, we may not be ready to even ask that question. We may not even know how to ask that question but sooner or later when we have a a time to catch our breath and we reflect on our lives or maybe you know you do this when your head hits the pillow at night and you're staring up at the ceiling am i becoming better by my experiences or am, am i becoming bitter and this is where i find most people struggle between the two and many people ask me well how's that possible you know how how does a past experience have the potential to make me bitter or better well let's flip that question around a little bit shall we you know instead of a of this or that question maybe instead you know we realize that there is so much more to us than you know what we have become so far and this is truly what reclaiming authenticity is all about finding the courage finding your courage to reclaim that which has always been in you from the very beginning. And therefore, there is potential for us to become better, and it's always there for us to realize, embrace, and live it out. Well, like I said, I will be taking your calls after the break because I really would like to hear from you on today's subject, Falling with Grace, Freddie the Leaf's Wisdom. Now. Um, it really brings us to a, a point when we consider, you know, falling with grace, you know, how do we navigate through difficult times? Or maybe let's put it, it and be a little bit more accurate with that question. How do we be in such times, you know, and, and this changes it up a little bit, we're not talking about what we need to do, but rather, how are we, our presence You know, what's our presence, and how do we interact with others when we're in relationships with all people, since we are social beings? Well, let's begin by taking a page out of one of the most beloved children's books, The Fall of Freddie the Leaf. This is the perfect time of the year to read this book, because after all, we are in the season of autumn, fall. And if you've never read this book, I highly suggest that you get it. It is a classic. It is a a great way to explain not only the subject of death and dying to children, but it also teaches the rest of us the significance of trusting and letting go and simply be, especially in the midst of uncertainty and the unknown. Because, yes, on on one level, the book is about the change of seasons, but it's it's a change of seasons through the eyes of Freddie, a leaf. And um, interesting, he's uh, a leaf on a tree and he watches the other leaves on the tree grow and how they enjoy the sunshine and how they're all tossed about with the wind and the rain and how they changed colors with the season of autumn. You know, reds and yellows and oranges and so forth, purples and blue, you know, and, and then eventually how they turn brown and brittle. And then finally, they let go of their branches. And they fall to the earth with grace and become nourishment for the soil. But also, on the other hand, this book teaches us also about the importance of yielding through change. You see, many of us, many, many people often struggle with the uncertainty of change. And more importantly, the transitions that we go through. Remember the little T trauma you know, these are the things where we may not have um, uh, run into something that was very life-threatening or even the death of a loved one. But these are very subtle changes, subtle transitions in our lives that we often have worked very hard to, to achieve. For example, let's say that um, getting ready, you're getting ready to graduate college or graduate school, and now you realize you have to leave what you once knew behind. And it brings you to a place in your life where you may have to move to take up that job that you've always wanted. Or it places more responsibility on you. Okay. And um or it could be, you know, you're getting married. And uh, through that transition is something that's very exciting and happy and joyous occasion. There's a lot of sadness to it because it's also a recognition of I'm never going to be single again. Never going to you know things will I'll never be able to look at things the same way, okay? so we often struggle with the uncertainty of the changes you know and the transitions that we go through and and this is what we often struggle with the most because we uh, you know sooner or later we just might allow fear to come in and take over, and we end up reacting to circumstances instead of. Responding So think about this: reacting and responding. Yeah, there is a difference between the two: reacting, responding. Think about it this way. When we react to something, we often do so out of fear or worry or anxiety. If you don't believe me, just just you know pay attention the next time you're watching the news and just make note of your reactions. Are you fearful? Are you worrying? Is your anxiety kicking up? Depression? You know, what's your reaction? And this is what we see happening all throughout today's world, you know, with all the violence and uncertainty and people's reaction with some very strong emotions. And yet, on the other hand, when we respond to circumstances, We do so by replying and acting in a way that allows us to transition smoothly. Yeah, okay, yeah, we have to act and we we need to do. But more importantly, we become present. We remain. We persist. And we respond again through our presence. But this doesn't mean that we do nothing. You know, we, once we get a, to a state of being um, and we recognize just the power of our presence in situations, it doesn't mean that we just kick back and do nothing. We put our feet up and we just we start the coast. Uh-uh. Instead, we often discover that it's a time when we let go of something in order to take on something else. And usually that take on something better. And not just to take on something better but rather to be better than what we were before. Perhaps we let go of something to become more resilient or better prepared, or perhaps most importantly, we're able to recognize in ourselves where there is still room for us to grow, to grow in our awareness and our acceptance and our allowance no matter where we are in any given day. So as we walk our spiritual path, and yes, everybody has one, we encounter things in our lives that compel us to let go of of pain and loss. It could be physical, it could be emotional, it could be mental, it could be spiritual pain or those losses. They compel us to let go of shattered assumptions. Well, I thought this was always going to happen this way, kind of. Assumptions. And it also compels us to let go of the emotional wounding of others. But we do not simply let go for the sake of letting go. We do so so that we can take on healing and perseverance and grace and peace and inner freedom and joy and gratitude and unconditional love towards ourselves and others. I remember reading a quote one time from Carl Jung. He was a Swiss, Swiss psychiatrist. There you go. Get that out. And um, contemporary of, um, of Freud, you know, and uh, Carl Jung used to say, I'm not what happened to me. I am what I choose to become. You now, every journey that I've been on, literally, has always taught me about how genuineness and authenticity in relationships are tangible. But, you know, indeed, it does require a lifelong commitment to self-discovery and honesty about who we are, not just with all of our skill, scars and gifts and phobias and strengths and graces and, you know, things like that, but there is so much more to us than what we have realized even to this day. Unfortunately, this uh, commitment, to Walking a spiritual path is a price that many people consider just too high to pay and not worth their time. And Maybe you've heard people just reason that uh, wouldn't it just be easier to be satisfied with the status quo, to go with the flow and just simply not question, put your head down and just do? Well, of course, that might be the frequently traveled road, but let's not deceive ourselves here. Okay, This inner desire for a genuineness and authenticity in relationships with ourselves and others and God is not going away. Moreover, that internal logging, logging to be more authentic and truer to ourselves is only going to get stronger. Trust me on that one. The more we push it away, the more it's going to come back stronger. The gentle nudges are going to become more frequent and so forth. And so on. And the people around you will start to say things like, Hey, you know what? I don't know if you've ever considered this, but you would be really good at. And it's just God has a way of just saying, stop and take a serious look at really who you are. Because if we don't, you know, the question now becomes, well, how much more sleep do we want to keep losing night after night? I mean, how many, you know, and and tragically, how many more times are we going to blame others for what we don't have? And how many more times are we going to say to one another, well, you know, I should have done this when I was younger, or I could have done this. And I would have done that if it wasn't for this person or that person or that, you know, and that's, I hear that too many times. The should have, the could have, the would have. But it does take courage to discover that which has been in you and still in you from the very beginning well i tell you what let's just for a moment okay just for a moment humor me here let's consider the ancient wisdom of mountains you know, especially this time of the year when colors of autumn seem to just light up the mountains with vibrant colors for us to enjoy. And I'm sure you have your favorite mountain, even um, mountains in the distance or something. Uh, but here we are, you know, in where I live in the Mid-Atlantic states, we have mountains all around us. And, um, you know, if you're one that loves nature and loves to get out, you are just awestruck. With the beauty of the mountains this time of the year and i am an avid fan of hiking mountains love it i just wish my knees and my back would enjoy it as much as my mind and heart does (laughs) well anyway i found that there's a striking parallel between our search for authenticity and how the ancient wisdom of mountains literally and figuratively Give us a a glimpse into our desire for uh, psycho-spiritual transformation. In other words, mountains have much to teach us. Because you see, every year, every season, from rainfall to snowfall, from generation to generation, mountains remain the stable giants in our landscape. And since the beginning of time people have had a fascination with mountains you know spending their lives and really small fortunes climbing the highest mountains in the world and perhaps this appeal to to climb these mountains comes from our attraction to a mountain's immensity and the majesty of just just a, a large image that's right in front of us or maybe we we climb mountains just to satisfy a sense of a higher calling in our lives. But at any rate, people today are being inwardly led to withdraw from society and to live in these mountains or develop their spiritual abilities and connect with the yearning that, leads, you know, that led spiritual leaders to seek God up on the mountaintop. And here's a good example of this ancient china uh, actually recorded five sacred directional mountains that stretched across its country in which um, these these sages dwelled and the emperors made lifelong pilgrimages to seek the blessings of heaven and these mountains or five peaks uh, are central to the religion of taoism that is you know, how do you live in harmony with the way or the path? And they were considered powerful spiritual locations that often paralleled the, the four cardinal directions and believed to be pillars that separated heaven from earth. Now, according to ancient Chinese cosmology, the realm of heaven covered the realm of the earth. And it was from this belief that the idea came that Heaven could fall down if it wasn't supported, uh, and thus the different energies of these mountains influenced the spiritual traditions that grew on, uh, you know, each of them. And as the mountains themselves are believed to house spiritual energies, so they pretty much held up heaven. Their peaks held up heaven. Well, in another example, um, Crow Patrick is uh, one of the most important Catholic spiritual. Destinations, I should say, in Ireland. And following in the footsteps of St. Patrick, he who spent about 40 days fasting on that mountain, and I believe it was around 440 441 AD, uh, nearly one million pilgrims climbed to that top every year. And following his fast, it's believed that St. Patrick rang a bell so loudly that the sound drove all the evil spirits and snakes out of Ireland. And for most people, then, the pilgrimage to the top of the sacred mountain is also seen as an act of penance, often remembering St. Patrick's devotion by reaching the summit on their knees or even walking barefoot. And I've been on Crow Patrick. And um, if you have, uh, you know, you know that it's all shale. And uh, I was on Crow Patrick years and years ago, and I was, you know, wanted to climb to the top. But um, you and I both know that when shale becomes wet, it becomes very slippery. And that morning, uh, I got about three quarters of the way up, and and it was raining, and, you know, my feet were... Very slick. The the shale was very slick. And I just kind of, okay, discretion is the better part of valor here. And I just said, well, I don't want a medical emergency on this sacred mountain. So I, I turned around and I just, you know, again, thanked the universe that I was able to be on Crowpatrick and just the beauty that I was surrounded with and started coming down from the mountain. And um, I was probably halfway down or so then this older couple uh was were you know following the same path and they were coming up and they were doing a pretty good clip you know they were they looked like they had been you know climbing mountains all their lives and we stopped and we talked for a little bit and uh, introduced myself, and they were fascinated that a, a Yankee, shall we say, somebody from America would be climbing uh, yeah, Crow Patrick, and, um, you know, just fascinated, and we, you know, just had a good time just standing there talking, when all of a sudden, uh, the wife, she pointed to something over my shoulder, and she goes, wow, well, you look at that, and I turned around, and from the top of the mountain, the top of Crow Patrick, down into the sea was this beautiful rainbow. And I tell you, it was, it was breathtaking because I, in my haste to get down from the mountain, so to speak, I would have never seen it because it was behind me. So I like to think that that meeting of you know, the older couple was meant to be just so that we, the three of us could enjoy just, uh, just beautiful, beautiful rainbow in that moment. Well, um, as I read uh, earlier from Joseph uh, you know, beautiful Painted Arrow book, um, the Tiwa Native American mystic, uh, uh, Joseph Rael is also a ceremonial dancer, an artist, and a writer. Um, he also talks about how mountains metaphorically refer to the human heart. And he says, the traditional form of a vision quest was to reach the top of a mountain. And going to the top of a mountain or any high place has the quality, symbolically, of going to the heart or center of vibration, where we search not just for ordinary awareness, but for the highest possibility in conscious awareness. The mountaintop is in the environment for the highest potential because the vibration of light there is of very high quality. It's on top of a Vision Quest mountain where one's heart and mind bond together. Well, as I said, I would really love to hear what's on your heart and mind about this subject. So again, if you would like to call in, that number is 888-627-6008, and I will be taking your calls after the break. Again, you are listening to Reclaiming Authenticity, and I'm your host, Dr. James Halk. Be back with you in one minute. Dr. James Houck, and uh, welcome back. You are listening to Reclaiming Authenticity. Again, I just want to remind you about uh, in two weeks, next show, it's entitled So That the People Will Live and creating that living dialogue with our ancestors. Because every now and then I I run into a misperception out there uh, today that before you can help others, you have to be free from your own pain and suffering you know, to be first healed from your own problems, or at least have your act together. And quite often, many people misquote Jesus' teaching about taking the plank out of your own eye first before removing the speck of sawdust from another. You remember that one. And when that particular passage is taken out of context, many people wrongly interpret this teaching to mean that, well, other people just simply do not have the right to say anything. Or people should mind their own business. Well, this is simply not the case. In fact, it turns out to be just the opposite. You know, in spite of themselves, people find ways to reach out to serve others in various and unique ways. All the while, pay attention to themselves. So tune in uh, two Fridays from now, 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, noon Pacific Standard Time, and I believe that is October the 28th. I look forward to having you. Well, in the first half of this broadcast, we were talking about the book, The Fall of Freddie the Leaf. Now, like I said, typically we think of this as a children's book, and it is, but in reality it has a deeper lesson for adults. Namely, it, it teaches us the importance of yielding through change. And I mentioned in the first half that we often struggle with the uncertainty of change or the transitions that we go through, even the transitions that we work hard for. And when they present themselves, then there's this sense of sadness. Um, but this is often what we struggle with the most because in that sadness of, okay, now things are never going to be the same again. We allow fear to come in and take over, and we often end up reacting to circumstances instead of responding, and reacting and responding are two different things, because whenever we do react to something, it's often, you know, we're doing so out of a fear or worry or anxiety, you know, the emotions are right there with it. And this is you know what we see happening all throughout the world. you know there's a lot of violence, a lot of uncertainty, and a lot of people react with some pretty powerful emotions and yet, on the other hand, when we respond to circumstances, we do so by you know um, replying and acting in a way that allows us to transition smoothly because We're more in like a reflective um, aspect in our hearts, in our minds. Yes, we have to act and do, but when we are allowing ourselves to become more present, we remain, we persist, we respond appropriately. And this goes hand in glove with knowing who we are, knowing that there is so much more to us than even what we realize right now. And there is a striking parallel uh, between our search for that kind of authenticity and how the ancient wisdom of mountains that literally and figuratively give us this glimpse into our desire for a psycho-spiritual transformation. Because indeed, it appears that people from various cultures and religions and languages Recognize a psycho spiritual connection to at least one of hundreds of mountains throughout the world. You know, and depending if you have a favorite mountain, if you've ever climbed a mountain top and looked over a valley or at the site, you know, you know how this has changed you. The view can be breathtaking. And by getting to the top, you know, we can look in the six directions of above and below or, and the north, the south, the east, the west. You know, when we do so, one can really grasp the proportion of just how small we are in comparison to the vast world. And perhaps it is this realization that we're drawn to mountains in the first place because we are stirred to reconnect with our hearts and throughout history many battles have been fought on or close to mountains and this just might be a means of reflecting the heart's inner struggle perhaps we climb mountains to get away from a disconnected world or um you know we want to get away from conditional relationships and we want to reconnect with ourselves and with god and yet when we gaze at or we climb mountains we may not realize the physical or psychological even spiritual interdependence that we have with mountains for our survival and well-being and for instance you know people and wildlife depend on mountains for the agricultural or forest benefits as well as source of water and nutrients and we, you know, human beings have certainly become dependent on minerals such as coal and iron ore, shale, methane, copper, gold, clay, silver, nickel, chromium, etc., for our everyday use. And still, there's a lot of talk these days about how can we just reduce our carbon footprints. And some people say, well, we just eliminate need to eliminate greenhouse gases or industrial emissions. And the effects of mining and some people say well it's nothing but global warming and let's talk about conservation yet what i don't hear included in these conversations is how the damaging effects our carbon per- carbon footprints clearly mimic the damaging effects our interpersonal footprints have on one another okay clearly our carbon footprints have a damaging effect But I wonder if we realize that what are the damaging effects of our interpersonal footprints? And and what are those effects that we have on one another? You know, because today it's often considered the norm, if not the expectation, that people will walk all over one another to lie, to cheat, to steal, and then expect that these actions will have no psychological or spiritual consequences. Because if we assume this, we are gravely mistaken. as, As evidence from our attitudes and our actions, we have not learned from previous generations. We have not learned from their discoveries. We have not learned from their mistakes and so forth. We clearly do not possess the ancient wisdom that comes from recognizing those lessons of um, interpersonal respect and dignity and value and gratitude passed on to us in the created order of things. Or, you know, to put it another way, it should be glaringly obvious that the way we treat our environmental resources and animals is really a direct reflection of our attitudes and behaviors towards one another. In fact, and despite all our searching for a psycho-spiritual wholeness, we do not possess such wisdom because we do not understand how we are spiritually and emotionally fragmented. And yet it is from this understanding that we recognize the opportunity that is before us to heal this relationship with ourselves and others and the land, it is important to yield through changes. Many of us often struggle with the uncertainty of change, as I mentioned in the first half, You know, especially the transitions that we go through. That fear comes in, we allow it to take over, and we end up reacting to circumstances instead of responding. And yes, as I said, there's a difference between reaction and responding. Reaction carries with it some pretty powerful emotions. But yet when we respond, we, we do so from a place of more of our, our presence, a place that you know we've, we've reached a point through our reflection. And we, um, we remember who we are and what our purpose is in this life and we respond appropriately well again let's go back to the mountains and uh this time of the year with just the beautiful scenery that the mountains you know create for us and a lot of people like to take a spiritual journey on a mountain and rarely you know this kind of a journey just rarely a journey is just a journey The miles we travel are often filled with anticipation, assumptions, attitudes about what lies ahead, right? You know, we we plan a trip, or we're going to climb a mountain, or go for a walk, and we get filled with excitement, and our hearts swell, um, and we begin to ask ourselves, I wonder what I'll find. I wonder what it's going to be like. How long is it going to take? And am I there yet? (laughs) However, instead of sitting back and enjoying this journey, we become fixated on answering these questions. In fact, we may often lose sight of the transformative process and purpose of the journey itself. But still, we may be in the habit of asking these questions of who and what and when and where and why because of our past experiences. But indeed, we... You know, where we have come from and where we have been often influence us on where we think we want to go on this journey and what we will find. But let's consider this thought if we behave this way when we take a physical trip, are we just as curious, anxious, and impatient about our own spiritual journey? After all, we may not take into consideration the stamina and the fortitude needed. To undertake such a trip, it's not a journey of haste, it's a journey of self-discovery. It's a journey of integration. It's a journey of endurance. And therefore, we do not take such a psycho-spiritual journey alone. Psycho-spiritual journeys have often been misunderstood as having a, a linear or a logical sequence And which contain a specific beginning and ending point. Instead, a psycho-spiritual journey is far less defined. Oh, we may point to a specific time when we realize we are seeking a psycho-spiritual path, but quite often, this kind of journey takes us not only into ourselves, but also beyond ourselves. You know, at times the journey circles back and presents us with life lessons that we have yet to learn. You know, there are lessons that are open-ended, lessons that are unknown, lessons that are even mysterious. But a psycho-spiritual journey requires faith and takes us beyond our personal assumptions, our personal expectation boundaries then they certainly take us out of our comfort zones and limitations. They take us to self-discovery and wonder, not so much of how far we've come, but more in terms of how far do we have yet to go. In fact, we should never believe that we have arrived or reached the end of our journey while on this Earth. You know, To our surprise, these journeys are more about grappling with our authenticity of the recognition of how God uses irony in our lives. In fact, however uncertain we are about what lies ahead, we can take comfort in the fact that we are never alone. We are in full view of millions and millions of people who have gone on before us. We are connected to our ancestors by our humanity and the relentless desire to pursue the one who has called our name. Our stories connect with theirs as one continuous narrative of I- ironic encounters with ourselves and others and God. Perhaps it is this element then, irony where we first begin to see God in our lives. Well, you know, several, and I mean several years ago, I found myself becoming interested in being a bridge person uh that is one who walks between two cultures by looking for connections that could bring unity or understanding and healing for both and even before i had ever heard of this term like what is a bridge person you know i've always you know found a resonating compatibility between native american spirituality and my own christian faith in fact it is through understanding another's religion and spirituality that i have come to better understand my own and for example my own faith has been enhanced by native american traditions that celebrate god as the creator the redeemer and sustainer of this world and through native american songs and dances and other traditions i have discovered a stronger connection to all living things as well as my responsibility of stewardship to care for all that has been gifted to humanity and i'm not alone in this discovery you know certainly these and other similar beliefs have been celebrated among christian and native americans unfortunately i am also aware of the history which has also revealed the times of christianity's extreme prejudice and tolerance and strong-armed conversions toward Native American people, which still, still to this day, contributes to the intergenerational post-traumatic stress and internalized oppression among Native Americans. Well, in the book, Mountains Beyond Mountains, uh, a Harvard professor and medical doctor, uh, Dr. Paul Farmer, he used his skill of contemporary medicine to serve Haiti's most vulnerable. You know, uh, Ironically, it's in the mountains of Haiti where uh, he encounters the ongoing spread of communicable diseases, such as HIV and tuberculosis, with little to no medicine. And through his medical and political efforts, uh, Dr. Farmer, he brought hope to those who were living in despair by supplying medicine to improve their lives. Now, interestingly, his story, his life, is set against the background of a Haitian proverb, Beyond mountains, there are mountains. Or a loose translation, it seems as though once you solve one problem, another problem arises, and then another, and another, and so forth. Well, being on a psycho-spiritual journey toward reclaiming our authenticity doesn't necessarily guarantee us avoiding the obstacles of emerging mountains, or that is, one problem after another. In fact, if anything, a psycho-spiritual journey makes us even more aware of the mountains, so to speak, in our lives. And this awareness, I believe, is a gift from God. It's a gift because it produces a kind of lived wisdom that enables us to climb with perseverance. We climb with endurance. We climb even with patience. But just a word of caution here. Just because we have successfully scaled one mountain in life doesn't mean that we have scaled them all. uh, Each mountain has its own distinct ancient wisdom and challenges we need to hear and integrate into our lives especially once we have reached the summit. And despite our perceived differences in the externals, that is race, language, religion, culture, there is a common Native American expression that emphasizes this interconnectedness among all that we see. And it's Latakio Oisin, all are related. And this phrase is understood by the Lakota Sioux people as an expression that extends to all of creation. In other words, everything that is humanity, animals, vegetation, minerals, elements, land, water, thunder, fire, wind, sun, moon, stars, all of that, and even more, are connected to one another and affects one another. Because you see, for too long, humanity... um, Go back as far as you want to on this one, centuries and centuries and centuries and centuries. For far too long, humanity has been influenced by the what's in it for me scenarios. And as much as we become enthralled by our gifts and our giftedness, we have to remember that when we begin to discover these things about ourselves, we discover our uh, authenticity and reclaim that which has always been in us, we have to keep in mind that the skills and the talents, the blessings, the knowledge, the wisdom, these things are not for ourselves. These gifts are for the benefit of somebody else. So reclaiming authenticity often compels us to now ask, okay, how can I serve humanity? How can I alleviate suffering? How can I speak up for those who do not have a voice? This is what authenticity is really all about. You know, some might say that they are content with being who they are. They're content to know, like, you know, they're this tall or they have this kind of skin color or so that, so on and so forth. But we need to ask ourselves, you know, every day am I being authentic? Am I being honest and genuine in my relationships? You know, why Why do we think we need to wait until we are retired, whenever that will be, to do what we've always dreamed of doing? Yeah. Really, what are we waiting for? Having all our bills paid? Having enough money in the bank? As I said, too many people uh, play the, well, I'll get around to it someday. I should have, I could have, I would have. You know, they play that game, while vulnerable and wounded people are in need right now. And such hurting people need others to see in them the potential to live authentically, including the benefit of reclaiming their own authenticity. I mean, maybe people believe that they have too much to lose to be authentic. Perhaps they don't know or fear that people will not accept them as they truly are. Maybe people have a fear of rejection, ridicule, shame, being ostracized or shunned. You know, we live in a time when, so we focus on the virtue of, let's say, stewardship. That is, what, is, what are we doing with what's been entrusted to us? I think the one gift that we need to foster and treasure is the gift of ourself our inner life, our spirit of resiliency, shall we say. Now, there's great value in reclaiming our authenticity because we find an inner freedom. We find that, that inner strength. We find that peace that has been eluding us. We find the assurance of who we truly are without giving away our uniqueness, playing by somebody else's rules and definitions and expectations. I mean, for some, finding their inner strength to be able to stand on their own two feet further empowers them to reach out for better relationships, better jobs, a stronger sense of justice, and so forth. Because indeed, those who are more authentic often find God's blessings. And I believe this is where the next great spiritual awakening is coming from, finding the strength to reclaim our authenticity. Well, I'm Dr. James How and you have been listening to Reclaiming Authenticity. I thank you for spending this hour with me this afternoon. And again, if uh, for some reason you have not been able to, or if you're curious about other broadcasts, uh, go to and visit the website and just click on uh, the archives. And uh, the website is www.bbsradio.com forward slash Reclaiming Authenticity. And then you'll be able to download uh, the broadcast that you had missed. Well, until next time, everybody be safe, uh, behave yourselves, and may you continue to reach out and reach in yourself to discover all that you are and who you are. Take care. for an answer or just to leave a thousand comments or prodding to buy a book by Dr. Houck it's all there just wander on over to reclaimingauthenticity.com and click around and we'll see you next Friday at noon Pacific time on PBS Radio TV